All right, everybody, welcome back in a special episode today because I'm joined by a great friend, uh, a guy who's been on this program, probably not enough uh, as he should be because he's, he's one of those good guests that gives you opinions. He has a great show on YouTube and wherever you can get your podcast, The Spiro Avenue Show. He is Justin Spiro, persona non grata to some, but beloved by many. How are you, Justin? I'm good. Yeah, we were talking a little bit before the show. I'm trying to rehabilitate my image here. I was kind of a, a jerk in my 20s, and here I'm in my mid-30s. I'm like have, almost at the halfway point. And Some people would still argue, Justin. I, I guess. I don't know. I feel like I've, I've run a, a clean program here. You know, like we're trying to be the uh, pre-Sandusky scandal, you know, paternal Penn State clean program over here at Spiro Avenue, and uh, it's apparently not working out. I'm still getting that's banned. a that's a hell of an analogy. It probably, yeah. That I got probably, banned. I got probably. banned by my own. Uh, I got banned by my own alma mater's radio station this week. So that that's still under fake, uh, you know, citizen litigation. But uh, we'll <laughs> we'll see how that plays out. But I'm glad that I can still. Uh, cozy up next to you and, and feel welcome at least for now hopefully i don't say anything that's going to get me canceled off this show too hey look you survived going on to a miami hurricane show with me uh and, and we got out unscathed um by the way i don't know if you know we might have to show up again on that program because uh they're already planning the parade chris Ball went there they're, the parade's planned get ready we're, we're invited to coral gables I'm ready. Yeah. Is that going to be the same parade route that they did for the last five coaching hires? I'm just curious. Cause I, I remember the parades for Rick. I remember the, the Manny Diaz parade. I, I remember the Randy Shannon parade. So is it, is it going to be the same route or are they, they picking a different Look, route? You're, put, you're putting our VIP luxury box in peril right now. Just, just be excited. <laughs> Parades already set. Same route. I, I, I give those guys credit, man. That Miami show, that was one of my favorite appearances ever. Honestly, like those those guys had such a relatable, tortured existence where it's like they they have that optimism, but they're also they've been beaten down so many times. So I'll, I'll do that Miami show every day. Like honestly, you, those you guys know what's are funny about them is they're they're Mich they are so much Michigan. However, the only difference is, is that they are so quick to eat their own. They like, should Manny, did Manny Diaz do enough to get fired? Eh, it, it's questionable. It really is, especially when you look at this year in the ACC. But man, they, they booted him midseason. No shot. If Harbaugh was down there, he would have been gone three years ago. I think now with crystal ball, they, but they're now in Michigan spot. They got their guy. That's their guy. Like there's nowhere else to go. You got your guy. Now you're just kind of going with it until, I don't know, Ed Reed or Ray Lewis decides they want to coach or something, but it, it's interesting. I know we'll get to Michigan, Michigan state, a lot to talk about. Let's, let's start with uh, our, our motor city kitties, the, you know, they're, they're roaring down the field, a, a triumphant victory over uh, the pack to end the season. Where are you at with this team? Because I know I, before the season, correct me if I'm wrong, I thought you were not completely sold on Dan Campbell. I'm still not completely sold on Dan Campbell as a head coach. Uh, talent is eh, bereft in some places, a lot of places, but 
you know, you look at the Baltimore game, you look at a few other spots, it probably could have won. In totality, how you sum up this team, how you sum up this season? It honestly hasn't changed that much for me. So I laid out the scenario all offseason where, look, I think Dan Campbell will quote-unquote succeed in terms of they're not going to be a three-win team in year three. I, I, I likened him to similar to what we saw with Jim Caldwell, where the NFL, if you look at how toxic half the coaches are, like half the locker rooms in the NFL at any given time, sometimes it's a little more, sometimes a little less, but roughly half of the NFL locker rooms are in something resembling open rebellion against their coach. Like there's half the coaches are hated on some level. So just the fact that Dan Campbell will probably never be hated by his staff or by, you know, by his staff or by his personnel right away. He's already ahead of half these guys. And we saw that with Jim Caldwell, even when things went awry, those guys were never going to throw him under the bus. His players had his back. So I can absolutely see a path and I can always have seen this path because I, it's what I laid out where they do improve, not maybe even next year, but by year three, they might go, you know, nine and eight, uh, maybe even 10 and seven at the peak of whatever this is. So I'm not as encouraged by some people, oh, they went three and three in the last six and they got more and more competitive. The margin of defeat when they did lose was shrinking. That doesn't honestly do much for me because I always anticipated fresh off the heels of a tyrant like Matt Patricia, the nice players coach always comes out smelling like roses. Always. That's what, I mean, obviously we saw it with Dan Campbell himself in Miami when he replaced Joe Philbin and they went on a nice little run. So yeah, I, I understand why people are looking at this up. Oh, they're playing hard. Like, you know, they, they played the whistle, all that stuff. I get that, but I built that in to my initial skepticism. So I, I'm not moved by that. I anticipated that. So I've really not changed my opinion one iota. I think this is a guy who by virtue of nothing else other than being so beloved and, and such a, a easy guy to play for and want to play for virtue of nothing else he'll win games like that but he's never he's never going to go 12 and 5 he will never win a playoff game here he will never win a division and that's kind of you know I'm kind of where I, I started there I don't disagree with you much Aaron and, and I guess my problem is you look at the NFC North it looks like it's probably going to get a lot easier and my concern is watching this team and and we're stuck right we're we're like i'm becoming a pseudo eagles fan because i hang around with too many jersey mongos and philly mongos i mean you, you know randall cunningham is brought up in every conversation but that's kind of my b team now and because i just don't see a path to success much like you laid out for the lions and i think it starts with a quarterback this is a quarterback league. I, I was always dubious of the golf thing just because the way you look at this team and what you just said, next year is going to be a very good year for, for having a high pick and getting a shot at a quarterback. I don't know. I, I think this team might just be in a bad enough division and be just good enough, uh, especially adding some pieces, which – they have the cap room. They have a. They have three in the top. What thirty five? Um, th there should be, you know, some some growth here. What's your vision for what this quarterback situation looks like? Because I'm I'm worried. Well, 
you know, first of all, I don't think this team will ever do anything. This organization will ever do anything unless they land somebody transcendent. And I've been laying that out publicly the past few weeks. And I don't mean even Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, as great as they are. I mean, basically in my lifetime, you're talking about Tom Brady or Peyton Manning. Before my time, Joe Montana, I guess, would qualify. They need somebody that consumes, that sucks up all the oxygen in the room when he walks in in a good way. Patrick Mahomes, great guy, maybe the best quarterback ever when it's all said and done in terms of just sheer talent and, and numbers. Horrible I, choice in uh, spouses. Yeah, well, oh my God. Well, yeah, I, I was going to say horrible choice in siblings, but I guess we, yeah, can't, yeah. <laughs> we can't blame him for that one. Uh, but I, horrible choice to keep him around and give him field passes still in, in perpetuity. I don't know what that's about. But yeah, that's another story. But like as great as Mahomes is, and it's not a knock on him. It's like, oh, you're one of the two guys that can't resuscitate the Lions. Like that's the only way this will get done because the culture here is so toxic and they're such losers. And I hate to say that because it sounds like I'm just poo-pooing them and just being like a jerk at the bus stop. But it's a lose. The fabric of this organization, they're losers. Somebody like Manning and Brady, not somebody like, that is the list. Those two guys, when they come in, I mean, Tom Brady controls what temperature the pasta is served in the buffet line at the team facility. Like <laughs> the minutia uh, is, is insane with those guys, their, their attention to detail. That's the only, you need someone to come in and suck up that loser oxygen. So getting that out of the way, I don't care if it's golf or somebody in the draft, the chances of them ever finding a guy that's going to overcome the burden of the Fords is very slim, but I think what they're going to do, I think golf will probably stay in that position next year and they'll roll it over. Like you said, they'll probably be pretty bad again, in my opinion, even if they're sixth or eighth or whatever in the draft and go for the quarterback next year. The one thing I'll say, the one caveat, I talked about it on my show last week, this organization now employs John Dorsey. We just mentioned Patrick Mahomes, John Dorsey famously traded up for Patrick Mahomes in 2017 at pick 10 multiple first round picks and a third. People forget, go back. I posted his comments after he stood before his own media, not the national media, the friendly Kansas City Star media, and was getting grilled on reaching for Mahomes and giving up too much to trade up to get him. And he confidently said, This guy's going to be special, kind of like a trust me. He could not have been more confident. John Dorsey's on this Lions staff now. He's going to be in that war room. If John Dorsey leans over and elbows Brad Holmes and says, Sam Howell is going to be special. We're all missing it. Everyone's blowing it. Sam Howell is going to be the truth. I'm actually okay with them going with the quarterback with their second first round pick here. I don't think that'll happen, but that is something to to point out that everyone's crapping on this class. Somebody from this class is going to be like a five-time plus pro bowler. Somebody, it may even be a third rounder. Somebody drafted is going to be an exceptional quarterback, at least one. And if you have John Dorsey with his track record of being pretty good, I, I don't rule it out like some people do, but I think it'll be golf and then roll it over to the next year. You brought up the draft. What, I mean, what do you want to see ideally out of this draft? It, it, what gets an A grade from uh, Spiro Avenue show and you and Adam uh, Bedune and uh, I don't know, Mike O'Hara or somebody are high-fiving and, and toasting champagne. What gets you there? Well, yeah, as far as like what I would be saying the day of the draft or the day the draft ends or whatever, I, you have to get the pass rusher. The, the Lions are actually really lucky because this is not always the case where the top two prospects, you know, some say the second and third best, but like two of the top three are pass rushers. 
the the best available players aligns with your biggest need or certainly one of your biggest needs. That does not always happen. So the Lions don't have to get into this, oh, we have to try to trade back or, oh, do we reach for a guy based on need? Those two are a beautiful marriage. It does not always happen. So they're very lucky. So I think they have to get one of the two. I mean, Hutchinson or Thibodeau. I, look, it is not, despite my Michigan State blinking, twirling lights all around you here, it is not a anti-Michigan thing. I think Hutchinson will be a good NFL prospect. To me, I'd rather have Thibodeau. I think he has the higher ceiling. He looks like an absolute game wrecker. So if they can get Thibodeau and another defensive starter with that second pick, even if they have to trade up five spots to get them, I, that's what I want to see. And that could be any number of things. They need so much help. The secondary needs help with the linebacking core. They could use another, honestly, interior defensive lineman. They did not hit on their picks on that regard last year. So I want to see back-to-back defense personally. I, I The offensive line is set. Swift is great. We already talked about the quarterback thing. You know, receiver would be fine, but two defensive starters, I'll be happy. That'll be an A. Uh, so it's interesting you bring a wide out because, I mean, what's the worst case scenario? Because to me, picking a wide out, it's kind of like, and, in, in, you know, I'll go to the Eagles here. Uh, I was talking with some friends and they got their three first round picks and all the mock drafts have a wide out. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, you know, Alave or Jameson Williams or whatever, that would be great. That'd be cool. And we can get a couple defensive players. And I'm like, but Jalen Hurts can't throw. So what is <laughs> a what does another wide receiver do for you? I mean, I, I just don't see it. And I kind of think that way with golf, where it's like this team, it's not like Jared Goff needs, you know, he's he's one wide receiver. He's a Cooper Cup away from, you know, just really breaking it open. It, it's just not there. You can see it. It's, it's not going to happen for him. Uh, what's the worst case scenario for you? I got to admit, I, I'm smiling because I so rarely have my mind changed midstream. But you just made a great argument. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I, I'm paraphrasing. I said something like, oh, receiver, I guess, would be fine. It wouldn't be, I, you know, I said defensive starter first. I was ready to tolerate a receiver until 94 seconds ago. You actually had a great argument. Now I'm with, I'm with you, other than a, a kicker. that you, you win that one, man. That's a great point. Like, it, this is not Jamar Chase going to uh, hold Joe Burrow's hand and, and change the dy- dynamic of their offense. They got crucified for not taking Sewell, who, by the way, would have been a great pick for them too. But Chase was actually like, look, results speak for themselves. He's been a game breaker for them. Look where they're at right now on the doorstep of the Super Bowl for the first time in forever. So, yeah, I, I'm with you, man. That's actually a great point, uh, especially since you already have Monroe St. Brown. That's one more receiver with a pulse than we thought they would have. So, yeah, you, you, you kind of turned me around. I'm going to go ahead and rubber stamp your answer. I think a receiver would actually be a big whiff in the first round now that you, you make that point. I appreciate it. You know, I mean, it is the Lions, so we can't discount anything. I mean, they did draft Brandon Pettigrew ahead of Aaron Donald. and uh, that, that was Ebron. But, or Ebron yeah. ahead of Donald. Yeah. Pettigrew went in front of. Pettigrew was like the 26th pick. Not as bad. I'm okay with taking a tight end like mid 20s late 20s even if it's not my first like ideal path taking one at 10 even hawk at eight hawk's a better player obviously hawkinson but just to me it's egregious and the thing with aaron donald is there is no hindsight there man that was 
everyone in my friendship group, like in the chat, the whole draft was like, oh my God, like Aaron Donald, we were hoping he would fall. This guy from Pitt, he's a geese, just, just wrecks the game in the in the middle of the field, in the middle of the line. And uh, we we like we thought they were gonna take him. Like they need him, you know. Sue's about to be out the door. That negotiation was in the gutter. Like this is the perfect move. And of course they blew it. I, I'll never forget. I was, they had the draft up and we were in uh, like a, a soldier's bar. Right. And uh, that was on the, on the post and I'm sitting there and you got like a hundred different NFL fans, you know, everybody were sitting there and they go, Eric Ebron. No. <laughs> yeah. Just everybody, the entire show. room looking at me. I, I mean, it was a horrible pick. Horrible. Um, Terrible. Terrible. It's kind of like that uh, from uh, Elway to Marino documentary where they're going through like all the picks on the 30 for 30. And then you get to the Lions and it's pick number nine and it's a fullback. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right, right. It's it was such like a and, you know, Aaron Donald would have changed the fortunes for a couple of those teams when he first got here. And he's still wrecking games right now. He was so dominant in this playoff run so far. And it's such a, it's just such a, a kick in the nuts every single time you see them play And the Rams, they win 12 games every year. So it's like every year we get to see this guy three more times. Like it's just it's a disaster. You know, it's perfect. You bring up kicking uh, somebody in the nuts, baseball, great transition. Um, yes. Holy Christ. The, the, this, this labor agreement and this CBA, I mean, we'll talk broad strokes before getting our, to our other kitties that are in the city. Jesus Christ. I mean, are, are, are we going to see baseball? Where, where, where you stand on it? I, I think they, I think they're going to get there. It's just a question of when, I mean, are, to me, the question isn't, are we going to see baseball this year? I think that's almost a hundred percent. Yes. It's the question of whether or not we miss games. Are we going to miss games? I, I still say no. I don't think we're even going to miss spring training games. I really don't think we'll miss regular season games. I think they'll get this done. But just the fact that we're here again, this is, uh, I, I'm not that young, but I'm not that old either. Like for a guy in his mid thirties to now be going through like the fourth, I think, iteration of labor strife with this league. Like you can't average some labor crisis once every seven years. Can't do it. I'll give you one or two in my lifetime as long as I've lived now. I ain't giving you four. And this is at least the fourth, like the fourth major one. If you're counting just bickering and we think they may not get a deal done, but the lockout doesn't actually progress to a lockout, we're up to like nine or 10. Every time the CBA's up, they're pissing in the media. So I, I don't think they're going to miss any regular season games. I definitely don't think we're in jeopardy of losing the season or a month of the season or anything substantial. But the fact that we're even here this league cannot get out of its own way. They are like, you don't have the luxury. If the NFL, when they locked out with 10 years ago, 12 years, ago, whatever it was, they have the luxury. They're smoking everybody. You can combine the other three major leagues in this country and they still don't touch the NFL. They can do that. They can make mistakes. Your baseball guys, your, your third place, your hockey's coming up on the rear hockey. You're going to get, and I'm a big hockey fan. I'm not crapping on hockey, but most people don't care about hockey on the national I, scale. I, I think what's what's funny what you bring up there, I, I think you can make a case and a strong case that it's actually soccer and the soccer rights are 
slowly getting up there. Hockey ratings are horrific right now. I mean, they're horrible. Uh, baseball lives and dies on their media rights deals, but they're they're slowly they're slowly dropping. I mean, um, and you're right. I mean, NBA does it right, and they they're successful. But it's real. I mean. God, you know, the, the TV stations would pay, you know, for 52 weeks of football. That's why you're seeing the USFL back again, because we, we need more football. Um, do you think that, I, I mean, I certainly view, in, and it sounds like you view it the same way, baseball is just essentially broken, that, that there is some things. I mean, look, you got eight teams that spend less than $60 million. You've got several players that make more than entire payrolls of teams. You've got probably collusion on the owner's ends to juice up balls for, you know, pitchers hitting free agency and, and uh, you know, kind of freeze balls for, you know, hitters hitting free agency. Do you, th- do you think that this is just we're, we're playing a short game when the long game is we have to fix the game, but we're just kicking the can down the road with it? Yeah, probably. I mean, at at, at what point is it no longer even called broken and it's just called inherently flawed? It's been this way for so long. I don't know if we're looking at a broken structure or an intact structure that is inherently just bad. (laughs) I mean, who cares really? At the end of the day, this goes back a long way. I mean, I remember 1997, I was 10. The Marlins win the World Series, gut the roster. 2003, same thing. I'm 16 years old. I'm like trying to get my girlfriend to hold my hand. Like, yeah, I don't know what's going on. I just got my license. Okay. 16 years old, all three, they win, got the roster. The next year, the payroll's like 17 million, literally. Like it was under 20 million in all three. And I know inflation, blah, blah, blah. The Yankees were like 170 that year. You can't have it. And I don't know what the answer is. Like a salary cap. The gap is so big. This isn't like hockey when the Red Wings were spending 82 and the wild we're spending 59. Like, yes, it's a big gap, but it's not $140 million. <laughs> like this is just, the gap is so cavernous. I don't know how you close it. So I don't know how they fix that. I don't think there is an answer, but it is broken. I, as far as this particular labor issue, I understand the players not liking the service time manipulation. I think that is wrong. You got guys that are hitting 450 in AAA that no one can get them out, but they got to hold them back for two more weeks. I get all that. At the same time, these players don't like that the market caught up. We had a lot of guys like Cabrera. We got one of them here. But worse examples than that in terms of pre-production that were 33 and getting five-year deals for $100 million. They may be good for two months of year one, and then they stink and they get hurt. The league, the owners have corrected that. These guys aren't getting those deals anymore, and the players don't like that. But I'm sorry, they shouldn't have been getting those deals in the first place. So they both have legitimate gripes. I just don't know how you can't figure this out. Like either way, the players could just say, redo the old deal. Look at what these guys, Mike Pelfrey a couple of years ago, who stinks and who stunk at the time of the signing, got a two-year deal, multi-year deal, $8 million a year. If that's what a bad player is getting in this league, it's not so bad that you can't figure something out. That's my position. Talking about Mike Pelfrey and our beloved Tigers uh, you had a really good episode and I really thoroughly enjoyed it with Tony Paul. Hope you have him on again soon. Um, that's about that time. Hint, hint. Uh, 
He's due. He he does have the right. He's tied for the record with Chris Castellani for most appearances. So he's got to break yeah. it. Tommy's great. Uh, man. And you guys kind of outlined what a good, great, bad offseason would be for the Tigers, a team that, you know, AL Central just went to the drizzling shits all of a sudden. Uh, the White Sox can't stay healthy. The Twins imploded. The Royals are years away. And the Indians are years away all of a sudden because they traded everything away. The Tigers are in a prime position. They're on the come up, getting back to a really respectable team. Had a very surprising late year last year. I think a lot, everybody kind of noticed. Where, where are you at with the offseason? Uh, you know, it's such an incomplete. It, that was part of the thing with the labor issue. You know, it's like we, we got cut off in the middle. I had my whole, you know, projected what I needed to see happen. I think Baez was like the, the worst acceptable option, if that makes sense. Like, so I yes, that, like, that was acceptable. So, I feel like Simeon might have, was the guy I wanted. Simeon was the guy I wanted because I figured Correa, you know, I don't know how jazzed I am about paying 350 to Carlos Correa just considering his health issues and, you know, getting tied into another long contract like Miggy, like you brought up, I, I don't know how, how great I feel about that. Yeah. I mean, the injury issues are big. The thing with Correa that was, or was and is a positive. He is the literal one uh, a or one B maybe best defensive shortstop in baseball. Baez is good, like well above average. I think slightly overrated because he makes some incredible plays. A little bit like Jose Iglesias where you think he's the best defensive shortstop on the planet and you look at every metric and he's actually like sixth. Like he's good, but a little bit misleading because of the play, some of the plays he makes. But Correa is otherworldly in the field. And that that I'm sorry, at that position, that would be nice. Like if you have the literal best shortstop in baseball defensively, that's such a, a, a game changer. So I would have been fine with Correa, but like Bias, that's fine. I, you know, the Rodriguez signing pitcher from Boston, uh, that's solid. Like it, it's better. They didn't have five guys better last year. They weren't going to have five guys better this year. So they've kind of done like solid bare minimum stuff. I'm of the opinion that if they're basically done other than filling in the edges, I'm still underwhelmed. You have to put this in context of we have had an absolute disaster here for five years. They haven't spent anything in half a decade. So, and it was all with this tag along promise of don't worry, the big spending's coming. In that context, I'm underwhelmed. If this was just your average offseason, you're filling holes, they filled some key holes with good players, but you can't eliminate the context of how we got here. We were promised fireworks and we haven't gotten them, in my opinion. But again, this ended abruptly. Who knows what was coming? It, it, are the Tigers in your mind? Last question before we had to break. Are, are they the team in your mind out of the Lions, the, the Pistons, the Red Wings, all to a certain extent, well, not to a certain extent, all of them in some form of a rebuild, are they the closest to being playoff ready? I think so. I mean, for one, they have the best manager in baseball. And, and you know, managers don't usually matter, but AJ, like, matter that much, I should say. AJ Hinch actually does matter. He is involved in every aspect of that organization. They're scouting their game reports. This is not a guy just choosing when to, you know, pitch a guy, his lefty or how to fill out a lineup card. He's great at that stuff too. 
but like he infects the whole organization in a good way. So I, I think that's a big start. And honestly, just with the talent they have coming up, they, they played, you know, Castellani, Chris Castellani, my buddy made a good point the other day uh, that they were playing at an, an 85 win pace the last three months of the season. That's a borderline playoff team. There's, there's years that 85 wins will get you in the playoffs. Like that was way ahead of schedule. If you can play anywhere near that, plus the talent they added in free agency, plus Torkelson. Yeah, I think that's safe to say. The Pistons still seem a, a long way off. The Lions will never win in my lifetime, so you count them out. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I like what the, the Red Wings are doing, but I think it's, it's a slow grind. The, yeah. I, we trust eyes are playing. It's a slow grind. My friend, I think he likes you. I think you guys are cool. Sean, Sean Belize has been on here before, and we've talked about it. It's a five- to seven-year plan, and it's slow, but it's methodical, and you can see it start – right now with Raymond and Cider, that there is on the horizon something coming. It's just we got we to gotta wait a little bit longer. Yep, yep. I, I, I'm in full agreement with Sean. And unless something happens, so far as I know, Sean and I still get along great. But <laughs> That's good. No, no. Yeah, like uh, well, you did mention, because I was like, you know, Sean Belizean would be great for the Spiro Avenue show, uh, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and you were like, oh, he hates me. He hates me. If you, if you Twitter search my name with he hates me, I've probably said that about 76 people. It's like a, it's a defense mechanism for someone that's turned me down before. So if someone is like, Hey man, I'm getting married that night. I'm like, oh, he hates me. So it's a way to protect my extremely fragile psyche and ego. So I I don't actually think he hates me, but uh, I I'm friends with Sean and talented guy. And I agree with him completely on this point. Well, we're going to come back. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to try and uh, DM Devin Gardner to show up and get him booked for your show. Uh, coming up, Michigan, Michigan State Talk. Uh, love Jesus khaki pants. We'll be back. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Van Dyne from North Coast Sports. You'll hear me here every week during football season with my main man, Stu, from the StuCast. And just want to let everyone know we got a lot going on at North Coast. We got Power Sweep coming up. Going to be releasing that at the end of August. And get on board for Power Sweep at ncsports.com. Definitely check out our podcast on ncsports.com. And like I said, you'll hear me every week giving out some of the best handicapping picks that you will get in the industry uh, with Stu and Bobcat every week here, as well as at North Coast Sports, ncsports.com. And we're looking forward to football season. All right, back after a a lengthy uh, little pause here in the show. Look, let's talk what what we're here for. Let's start with the junior varsity. Um, look, Harbaugh, he's had this infatuation with the NFL. Uh, he certainly put his name out there last year. Um, really feels like there, there's a job out there that's going to offer him carte blanche to do whatever he wants. If you listen to Mike Lombardi in the GM shuffle, he was talking about uh, a few weeks ago about how when Harbaugh first got to the Raiders and was a quarterback's coach, 
this mental patient would play the autumn wind in his office every single day. And you would just hear the autumn wind from John Facenda reverberating around the halls. I mean, he is a mental patient. Um, I, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, is, is, what are the percent chances you think he leaves Michigan right now? Oh, man. I mean, I feel like it's the ultimate cop-out, but I honestly think it's like 50-50. And the thing that people need to understand is like, and look, something may have changed in the last 48 hours, but I talked to somebody that that is very on the Michigan side, not the Harbaugh side, in the know. Uh, really probably couldn't be more in the know from the Michigan side. Harbaugh himself, as of two days ago, does not know. So anyone saying like, oh, here's what he's doing or here's what he's probably going to do, Harbaugh himself is really torn. So if Jim Harbaugh doesn't know, nobody knows. Like, so that, let's get that out of the way. I honestly, first of all, it's not a smokescreen or a, a, a ploy to get more money. He is genuinely exploring this Las Vegas Raider thing. And it's nothing that hasn't already been reported. The relationship that he has with Mark Davis, his wife is from the area. All of that is true and a big part of why he's looking at it now i heard i will not report it on my twitter as much as i I believe it i think it's true but it's just it's it's a secondary i heard it from someone who heard it from somebody but i trust both the lines of the, the information that he was offered just a hair under 12 million dollars a year from mark davis with a large degree if not total personnel control now Harbaugh's position is I don't need Michigan to match that. I'm not asking to be paid $2 million more than Nick Saban, but Michigan's offer was more in the neighborhood of eight. I can't be $4 million apart was where this was left about a week ago. So I I think this whole thing is real. I think he has a slight, slight lean to staying at Michigan, very slight, but you know, he wants things a certain way. And I, I don't know, I don't have any information on this part, but, I got to think he's tired of Michigan's lack of interest in NIL, the transfer portal. Michigan has not been willing to play ball on that. I don't know. You're actually pretty educated in this stuff and the dynamics of college more than I am. Maybe you can weigh in on that, but just intuitively, he can't be thrilled that he's got an arm tied behind his back relative to Michigan state and other schools just in that regard. No, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, college football is moving a certain way and, and it's a, thing I want to point out, I think that's really important with Mel Tucker a little bit later, and that compare contrast to D'Antonio. It, it, college football is moving towards, I mean, it's the Wild West. We had Scott Bernstein on, our mutual friend, on uh, last week talking about it, and, and he brought up a great point. He said, look, they, they pretty much opened a can of worms. They had no idea. The market will sort itself out. Well, it's chaos right now. In Michigan, to your point, they get a really amazing center from Virginia, an all-ACC center. He's a grad transfer. He's a grad transfer. Look at the transfers they took in last year. Uh, Dylan Baldwin from Jackson State. He's a guy that, you know, essentially a JUCO transfer which is, uh, you know, pretty much what Michigan historically has accepted, you know, a JUCO transfer here or there, a grad transfer here or there. Does Jim feel like he's handcuffed? Brian Kelly certainly did. That's part of the reason why he went to LSU. 
I think the money it will be there. I think in today's market, if you want to be considered a big time job, you're paying in that nine to 10, 11 a year deal. I mean, Nick Saban makes nine and a half or 9.7 or whatever it is, but people fail to realize that he's got about another 40 million in car dealerships and other back-end arrangements. So Nick Saban makes his money. Lincoln Riley, you look at his deal, that's more along the lines of when you include the personal private jet that he can take at any single time um, to anywhere, non-football related, and the house that they bought him and the house that they bought from him, that deal turns into a lot more than whatever the base salary is. So you got to get along to play along. I, I got to imagine, I think he goes to the NFL. I, I, I think this is where he kind of belongs, but all that set aside, this team, and, and we have to, you know, and I've heard you do it, got to give them credit. I thought that they did a really good job. I was poo-pooing the Mike McDonald hire, wrong. That, that turned out to be really solid. Uh, the Steve Kling scale hire, really solid. That's a hell of a, a recruiter and a guy to have in your secondary. They're doing good things. I, I thought this was the most um, solid recruiting class that I've seen, being able to flip kids from some big programs. Um, and only one kid from the state of Michigan. One kid from the state of Michigan, zero from the state of Ohio. This is a Michigan that is, if you're paying attention, they're going to their, you know, stomping grounds. They, they've kind of carved out a, a role in California, much like Michigan State's attempting to do in Georgia. Um, they're going out west. They're going down south. They're going to the northeast. They're going, I, they got the best player in Idaho or Montana or something. He's starting to get with the program and realize that I'm not going to win championships just taking the kids in state and from Ohio. I think he's starting to get, but it's it's a long it's a long arduous thing because Ohio State's not getting, going anywhere, Penn State's not going anywhere, MSU's on the come up, Maryland, you know, if they decide to drop the bag. You know, it's things are only going to get harder, whereas I think the Raiders offer him that complete control and it's a little bit easier. Right. It's, it, and it's a little bit more. I mean, NFL head coaches essentially at this point, for the most part, they're just game watchers. They just manage uh, staffing. That That's all they do. I mean, you saw Sean McDermott. He, he wasn't calling plays. He, he, you know, he calls a timeout to reset the defense. And they leave 87 wide open, right? They they they're they're game watchers. Um, I I think he I think he wants to do that because essentially that's what he's been been forced to at Michigan because we saw what happens when he does get involved in the game, right? I, I don't know where do you think this Michigan program is headed? I, I I think it's in a better direction. It's got some kind of continuity. Where do you think it's headed? I mean, you know, it, it is tied to Harbaugh. I mean, it's we don't know if he stays. I think they're in pretty good shape. I mean, the, the, the argument for him leaving. We saw what happened in the college football playoff. 
And it's what's happened to, for the most part, every Big Ten team that's gone. I mean, Ohio State got it done, but they've also gotten blown out on the stage. That's Ohio State. Michigan State, obviously, we saw what happened in, in, you know, after the 2015 season. So I, you can make the argument that Harbaugh has done what is very possible at Michigan as the max. Win the Big Ten, beat Ohio State, and not just beat Ohio State, but beat Ohio State in a winner-take-all game. Winner goes presumably to the college football playoff because Iowa was on the chopping block for whomever advanced to Indianapolis. It get to that playoff game. I just, I feel like he may have maxed out there and he has not maxed out in the NFL. He really could win a Super Bowl. He was so close once. And obviously, Sherman's famous uh, tipped interception, uh, you know, where he's screaming at Aaron Andrews after the game. He's gotten very close to making another Super Bowl. I just feel like he may have maxed out at Michigan. I don't think he, I don't think he can win a national championship at Michigan. And I used to think he could. So, you know, I don't know. As far as Michigan's future, it's impossible to say. Like, are we talking Harbaugh's back or not? If Harbaugh's gone, I don't know where they go because do they try to go back into like the promoting an assistant or bringing back an old assistant route? Do they try to? And there's rumors that Matt Rule might want to come back to college, maybe. Like, do you try to go that route? I have no idea where they go. We've seen them fail bringing the position, the old position coach, Brady Hoke, who went to be a coach somewhere else, bring him back. We saw them try to hire the innovative, like Western, Southern rather guy and Rich Rod. I don't know. I honestly, I'd love to give you a great answer. If he's gone, I don't know what they do. And I don't think they know what they do. I think they need him back. Do you think Mike Hart's the, the go-to? Please. But deliver oh. my heart into my arms. Like, see, please. I, 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 I'm cool with Jim Harbaugh staying. I'm cool. I'm cool with it because I, I've seen, you know, five out of the six years have been embarrassed, utterly embarrassed. You get, you oh. get a hot year with the down Ohio State. They should have beat Michigan State, and there, there's some issues there. I don't know. I, I'm cool with him staying too. I'm cool with him staying, but don't you think you're being a little harsh? I don't know if I don't know if twenty that was it. 2016 was embarrassing. I mean, they're a spot away from basically definitely going to the college football playoff. Fair enough. Okay, I'll take that but, back. Four out of six. Yeah, I, I mean, for what the expectations were, honestly, I would say three out of the six because even the first year, it's like that Rudock year. What they went 10 and three after being terrible for half a decade. Like, I mean, they had the one Sugar Bowl run with Hoke 11 and two in year one of Hoke, but for the most part, they were a disaster. But three of the six years, definitely. And, you know, I'm sorry, it was a disappointment. This year, I think he's getting almost a little bit too much goodwill. Like, his rivalry record is still abysmal. <laughs> was he really brought here? to go one and five against Ohio state. And we all know it's really one and six. I mean, if that game had happened last year in the COVID year, that would have been like a 57 to seven type beat down. I know that in any given Saturday crap, it was going to be a beat down. We all know it. So I, I'm with you in general. I mean, maybe you were a little harsh when you walked it back. I was a little harsh. I'll walk well, it back. You are right. And I'm sorry to our Michigan friends. <laughs> yeah, but, but you're not wrong that it was disappointing. And 
I wonder if we're almost like just in general, and certainly in the Michigan fan base, being a little bit too overly forgiving of the shortcomings. Because if you had set up front, he's going to go one and five against Ohio State, be basically 500 against State, Michigan State, and have one Big Ten title, I, you know, seven years in. I, would they have taken that? I don't, I don't think so. I, I, I mean, I didn't know anybody that would have taken that. So I good for you for getting it done, but I'm sorry. Like I, I heard for years how D'Antonio winning three big 10 titles wasn't that big of a deal. I'm not ready to like bow down to him yet. So I'm with you. I'm not like afraid of him staying, um, but it could get a lot worse. Like if he leaves and they want to put Mike Hart in there, bring it on man. because Mike Hart, nobody, on the planet is more responsible outside of Michigan state's walls for the resuscitation of Michigan state's program than that little guy. Thank you. Mike Hart. I thank Mike Hart every day. I should put a painting of Mike Hart on my wall because <laughs> nobody outside of Michigan state's territory has helped Michigan. Hey, state I, I, I don't think Sam's in Kalamazoo yet. I think, I think you can turn around. You got a good idea there. Yeah, um, maybe I got to get him to work on the, the Mike Hart cigar picture. Maybe you can be <laughs> cracking on that one. Uh, this team, though, coming up this season, and we'll get into it much closer to the season once we actually know what the hell's going on. But, I mean, certainly a big decision to make at quarterback. You got to think, just looking around the landscape of college football, I don't think J.J. McCarthy's very interested in uh, – coming in and, and getting his uh, four, four throws a game, running the ball twice or three times, and Cade McNamara's, you know, it's Henson Brady type stuff out there. But, yet yeah, McNamara is a solid, good quarterback. I mean, he will win you games. I mean, not against Alabama or Georgia, but he will win you games. What do you do there? Look, I have strong opinions about virtually everything in sports. This is one of those where if it's a high school debate class and I'm getting assigned a side, I'm ready to argue either one. Like I, there, I'm not going to sit here and say anyone that's pro McNamara is an idiot or vice versa with, you know, McCarthy. But if I had to pick and I'm not being assigned a role to argue, having acknowledged that there's an argument for both, I'm still a McCarthy guy. And I get the McNamara support. If I were McNamara, I would be like to hell with everyone that is doubting me. Look what I've given you. Nobody else could do this for 17 years here. I get all that. But at the end of the day, it's talent. McCart McCart yeah, I just, I'd rather lose with, I'm going with the talent. McCarthy, I'm not saying he's as good as a Heisman Trophy winner. But he has the talent level of someone at that level. I, I maybe I'm nuts. I'm and look. No, I, I think I, I think the the game against Georgia kind of proved it. I mean, uh, he threw that deep ball to Roman Wilson, and it's like beautiful on the numbers. Now right. he needs to clean some stuff up. I, I, you know, I saw some fastballs into the dirt, and he was killing some worms. But it's there. You can see the talent. McNamara is not. I mean, how many times did he throw for under 200 yards? I mean, this was essentially a running team by, by because it had to be. It, they had to be a running offense because, I mean, you know, Andrell Anthony is only going to catch so many seven-yard crosses and turn it into, uh, you know, downfield yards. I, I agree with you with McCarthy, but I, I look at this team offensively, you know, Donovan Edwards looks like the real deal. 
Um, they got a real nice class of uh, wide receivers and get Ronnie Bell back, which is going to be huge for that, for that offense, what they do, you know, quote unquote, speed and space. Well, you look defensively, Vincent Gray opting out, Hinton, uh, for some odd reason, he he goes into the draft. You're losing Daxil, you're losing a job, oh, you're losing Hutchinson. Uh, that uh, it really feels like this is a team that's going to win uh, their games next year, even though they're playing Sisters of the Poor. It's the easiest schedule in the country. It, they're going to win games, you know, 33, 38, 42 to you know, 27, 31, 34. It really seems like it's going to be a track meet with these guys. Yeah, I, and I think you're kind of making partially the argument for Harbaugh leaving, right? I mean, I to me, this is going to look like every other Harbaugh team prior to the last two years, like not as good as this year, at, but better than that 2020 mess. It's going to be, in, in part of it's based on the schedule that you mentioned, but it just feels like, 10 and two, lose to Ohio State, lose to probably, you know, either Michigan State or who's like the next. And Iowa. Yeah, Iowa's a tough place to play. Like they'll split one of those. They'll have like a 10 and two, not go to Indy. Like it just seems like that kind of a year for the reasons you're laying out, which again, if that's Harbaugh, it's like maybe that's an argument to leave, but I'm with you. I think the defensive talent, like if you lose your best two defensive players, right off the bat i mean you mentioned you know great like that too but jabo and and hutchinson that's a loss losing those guys. It, i think hitting is the real real loss because he was really coming on yeah and his loss is going to be hard to fill you're right he was supposed right. to be the d-line guy absolutely i agree and i just i think that's they're not going to be as good and and that's another reason to argue for mccarthy you made a beautiful argument for their offense being better and being effective i, I think mccarthy's a guy who um and i feel the same way about nfl teams this is how i look at quarterbacks and it's why i'm not a lamar jackson guy he's fun i'm not a lamar jackson guy i need a guy who on third and nine in late november early december it's snowing can stand back there on third and 11 when you, you got stuffed at the line on first down and threw an incomplete pass on second. Yeah, third and long, in the snow, driving wind, can stand back there and deliver a rope to a guy downfield. That's not uh, K. McNamara. He had a couple throws like that. If, you're, if you throw the ball 450 times, you're going to have some exceptions. Someone could bring them up. But on a consistent basis, when Michigan got in third and long, did anybody feel good about it? I know their conversion rate on third and long was objectively poor. So like that's where McCarthy can not only throw the ball a lot better, but he can also escape with his legs. This team based on the losses on defense is going to need someone to step up. They're not going to be able to grind teams down and have McNamara make a couple plays and get out. The politics of this is fascinating because I was told the other day on Twitter that McNamara would be totally fine with McCarthy being promoted and he's not going to, McNamara's not going to leave because he wants a Michigan degree. I'm not as plugged in with Michigan as some people are. I, I don't have any inside information, but just logically, is there, and I'm, I'm going to ask you, I'll be the interviewer for just one question. Is there any way that these guys are in a position battle in training camp, not knowing to me, McCarthy's going to transfer. You said, oh, McCarthy's not down to throw four balls a game. 
I don't even think McCarthy has the appetite to be in a competition. I think he's going to be like, look, I'm either the guy or I'm out of here. Somebody good is going to promise me the job or at least the inside track to the job. I don't even think there's, they're going to tolerate an open competition. Someone's going to leave. Do you see them? I hate to throw it to you, but for one question, let me do it. Do you see these guys in a position battle in August? Because I, I would be shocked if they subjected themselves to that. They both have an argument to be the unquestioned starter to me. Look, I, I, I'll just say this. I'll go to a completely different school, and I'll just tell you this story. There was a transfer out of Alabama this year. Paul Tyson, quarterback, third string, fourth string quarterback, right? So what? Third, fourth string quarterback at Alabama, he leaves. That's Bear Bryant's grandson, and he transferred from Alabama. Okay. If Cade McNamara wants to stay for the Michigan degree, that's great. Uh, I think we're going to go into this season. I think the coaching staff is going to very quickly identify that McCarthy's the guy, but we're going to play it out. You know, it's nip and tuck in camp and we're going to, we're going to trot our starter out to start the season and it'll be J.J. McCarthy, because at the end of the day, I think they realize that at a certain point, you can't have guys coming. And I'm going to hate to pull my, my guys into this, but Rutgers, right? Rutgers gets a four-star quarterback. They bring him in, and he's, 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 he's in a play or two. They take him out. They put the god-awful Noah Vedral in there, who is beyond horrific. I mean, should not be playing quarterback in a power five conference. You. I'm with you on that one. And then they they pull him and they put Johnny Langan in the BC transfer, but he can't throw the ball. So, you know, they're running. But then we put the four star back. It, it, it causes the offense to start and stop. And when you don't have a great defense, this could be an issue. I think. It, it, more likely than not, Cade's what a junior. He will be a junior, right, or a senior. I thought Cade was like a rising senior, but I could be wrong. And I honestly can't keep track of this anymore with everybody. Yeah, it's so right difficult. Here. I mean, well, he's, he's been there the for a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it really depends because if he's got that transfer, now of course he could always grad transfer, which is you know if he thinks he's got a shot. But where's he gonna go? Right. I, I think it's McCarthy's job. It has to be. If it's not, I think that's good news for everybody else in the Big Ten because it means that Michigan still doesn't get it, um, which is something we can't say about our team, the varsity. Um, well, I, I'll, put, I'll, I'll ask you this. Broad question. Mel Tucker season two, we, we, we see what happened. Everybody knows what happened. K-9. You know, beat Miami, Peach Bowl champions, and a cover, by the way, which is incredible. Um, Mel Tucker, Mark D'Antoni, what are the differences? One of my favorite segments in the history of my show, and we actually clipped it for YouTube for this reason, was me asking Connor Hayward that exact question. We had uh, Kenneth Walker and Connor Hayward on my show. Kenneth Walker never played under D'Antonio, so he was like texting his girlfriend during that segment. But <laughs> Connor laid it out really well that there, there are 
a lot of similarities. They're both football lifers, football junkies. They have all that. D'Antonio, uh, you know, I'll kind of steal his points because he gave a great answer. I, and I'm paraphrasing, but D'Antonio was a lot more serious. It wasn't a jovial attitude. Tucker is serious as a heart attack with football, but the second they're off the field, like he'll, he'll joke with you. He'll mess with you. So like the similarities are football lifers, football junkies. They think football is, I mean, I hate to use heart attack as D'Antonio says, but like serious as a heart attack. Like it's it just, it is life and death for them that they're the same. Tucker's biggest thing is off the field, his recruiting, his charisma. D'Antonio, whom I love, who also has a painting on my wall that was commissioned, a great guy, great coach, the best coach we've ever had, totally lacking in charisma. I mean, he is a one out of 10 on the charisma scale. You, you really couldn't get any lower short of being a dead guy. Tucker's a 10 out of 10. So I think they both have that football junkie attitude and, and just – long hours and they grind and they, they really love the game, even relative to other football coaches, but they're so different in every other way on the recruiting trail. Tucker is a celebrity. D'Antonio was never a celebrity. I, when I had Justin Tind on from uh, 24 seven sports, he talked about, you know, he's really plugged in with recruiting. He was talking about these, these kids, like when Tucker pulls into the parking lot of these high school games, it's like the football version of the Beatles showing up. Like D'Antonio didn't have that buzz. Not even some of the bigger name coaches have that. It's pretty much like Tucker, Saban, like maybe Lincoln Riley. Like, and it's not to say Tucker's at the level of those guys yet in terms of accomplishments, but in terms of cachet. So they're just, they're so different as personalities. Tucker really sees the value in the media. He, sees the value in Twitter and graphics and, and guys being on Twitter. D'Antonio, the media was a necessary evil. He absolutely hated dealing with the media. If he could have his way, he would have never spoken to him once in his whole career here. Tucker, he may not be the most uh, dynamic speaker with the media, but he sees the value in all this stuff. So the football coach, they're both defensive coordinators by trade, saving coaching tree, football junkies. There's a lot of similarities there. But the second they step off that practice field really couldn't be more different. And I think those differences are, hate to say it, but that was a weakness of D'Antonio. Those differences are a check mark in favor of Mel Tucker. Now we'll see about the in-game acumen that we haven't had enough sample size yet, but the differences are a compliment to Tucker. I think, and I, I mean, I'll give you the credit because I'm pretty sure it was your show. Um, and maybe the same episode with, with uh, Justin Thin, who I, I got a bag to get on here. I, I, I love listening to him talk uh, Spartans. It, it, and it basically the quote was, we're going to recruit SEC talent because we're trying to beat SEC teams. And we're, you know, essentially not going to do it with uh, Johnny Rogers from Ishpeming, Michigan, or Escanaba, or, you know, uh, Tawas, or w wherever, okay? Every, every obscure northern town, I love it. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, because for the longest time, how many times? Essexville. We're getting some, some kid from Essexville? What, what, how are we going to do that? Like, what, what's that going to, you know, do for us? Meanwhile, just like you said, uh, Coach Tucker out in Washington, 
trying to recruit uh, five-star defensive linemen, hi hiring Jordan as the new DN coach. Um, I, I think there's a lot here that pretty much says, like, he gets it. And I felt for the longest time that Mark did it. Like, Mark was missing the boat. I'm going to play football like it's, you know, 1986 and not realize I'm in closer to 2026. That said, coming into the season, I, you know, I, I'm not going to be that guy. You, you know, I, I, I got chastised by you for saying Naylor and Reed were not the second best wide receiving core uh, in the Big Ten. Still stand by that. Uh, this team seemed primed for a regression. Like, it, it really seemed like there's talent there, and I think the defense is going to be much better. It, the, folks, this, the big problem was they had no pass rush. There was no pass rush. Now we got a pass rush. Yeah, Amir Speed, this team is going to be much improved. I just worry about this offense. I, 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 where, where are you at with this team? Well, I tread carefully here because a lot of us, myself included, looked pretty stupid the past few months of or mm -hmm. the last few months of 2021. You say they're primed for regression. I agree on paper. I also think they were primed to go five and seven this year, and they won a lot more games than five games. So, I mean, it, it was a flabbergasting 11 win season. So, if you look at it, from that perspective, I, I, I get what you're saying, but we, we all thought that this isn't a team that won a couple more games than anyone thought. They, they outpaced their Vegas win total by, depending on where you got it and when. Seven. Yes, like six. I mean, it was like, what, four and a half? And yeah. I, I'm not – Vegas doesn't count the bowl game. So they won 10 games as far as Vegas is concerned. So like they outpaced it by six. Like <laughs> this is a team that more than doubled their expected win total. So I, I just, I get what you're saying, but I think if anyone's earned the benefit of the doubt, they should have gone 0 and 7 in year one. They really should have. I mean, yeah. that team, Tucker had every disadvantage. Horrific. They had, they, Horrific they, they, talent wise. They had four good players <laughs> and no, and every disadvantage. And Northwestern, that was a good Northwestern team. That Northwestern team had Ohio State on the ropes in the fourth quarter of the Big Ten title. And, like, and then went on to beat Auburn, like pretty yeah. handily. It's like that was a great win, and the Michigan win in retrospect wasn't as impressive. But, like, the fact that they had two wins as huge underdogs and didn't go 0-7, it was the best two-win season in history. And then you follow that up with what they did this past year. They have outpaced. I expected them to go one and six, zero and seven in year one. If you had told me they were definitely playing seven games, I with this year I predicted six and six. They obviously blew that out of the water. So I'm kind of out of the Mel Tucker prediction business, like going low. I, I just I, I there's plenty of valid points. Two for two is not the biggest sample size, but. If anyone's earned the benefit of the doubt on like they'll be just fine, it's this group and this coaching staff and this program. Uh, with that said, I mean, I, I'm not going to just not give an opinion. I agree. I mean, it looks like for one, the schedule, there's some tough spots there. I see it as like an eight win team, but um, that's, that's where I was thinking. I, and I that mean, would be a regression. So eight, eight to nine win team, I feel like it, 
I'll ask you this too. Do do you what's your feelings on the transfer portal? I mean, we we certainly have uh, more spots we need to fill, according to Justin Thin. It's sketchy. Uh, we we need more kids to transfer out, um, which I I think will happen to free up scholarships. Uh, where do you where do you fall on it? Because there is that heavily reliant. I hate to bring up Miami, but it serves its purpose here. A team that it was heavily reliant on the transfer portal to fill gaps. Uh, Mel Tucker is the transfer portal king. Do you feel like it's it's scary to be relying on transfers so much to to fill you know boxes, and you're not going to hit on every single. No, you're not. I mean, I, you know, I'll say this, the, the people I've talked to around the program and, you know, Justin has actually said the same thing too. The plan big picture is not to always be this reliant on the transfer portal. They want to get their recruiting rolling. They're getting their foot in a lot of doors that they didn't have before. They're still establishing these relationships nationally. Michigan state had more of a regional footprint when they were doing relatively well in recruiting. So I, it seems like their plan, who knows where it ends up, Michigan State's administrative plan is to not be this reliant three years from now on the transfer portal. So I'm okay with like short term, this is what we're doing to succeed on the field now until we get rolling. Big picture, I think there are some risks there, but as long as it's part of the game, I want us involved. I mean, of all teams that thumb their nose at the transfer portal, the team that got Kenneth Walker should probably be embracing the concept of it. I'm not a big fan of, as a general matter, how rampant the movement is. I, I Somebody proposed a while ago, like you kind of get one freebie with no sit out. And then after that, you have to sit out. And I'm kind of in favor of that. Like these guys that are, I mean, JT Daniels, like uh, it's going to be on his third team in three years. I, I'm not even saying he's wrong. Like he probably does have to transfer, but I do question on a bigger scale do we really want guys playing for three teams in three years and not even grad transfers? Like they're still an undergrad. I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of anti multiple transfers in the same career. Uh, I just think it's too chaotic. I, you know, I, I think it's instability across the board, but as a general matter for Michigan state, certainly in the short term, hit it hard. I think they have to hit it hard. So keep, keep it up. I don't, I don't have the same apprehension some do with it. Recruiting wise and you might be plugged in a little bit more closer to this because, and it, you may not know the answer, but I'd love to hear your take. Do you, do you have any concern? This is a program that historically um, has stayed to the Midwest. Your Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Michigan uh, footprint. However, it really looks like, and it really feels like, we want kids from Texas, Louisiana, Georgia, and Florida. And we'll sprinkle in some West Coast dudes as well. Do you feel like that is going to hurt the brand locally? Or do you feel like it's a necessary evil that the bigger programs are just much like Ohio State has done? Although Ohio State still, I mean, half their kids still come from Ohio. I mean, I wouldn't even call it a necessary evil. I would just call it necessary. I don't, you know, I don't see, I don't even see really the downside. I mean, there is that Chinese proverb. If you chase two rabbits, you won't catch either one. Like you do have to measure, 
are we neglecting our backyard? Uh, that's a, a valid consideration. I will say, in terms of sheer resources, Michigan State's recruiting resources are by a factor of five bigger than they were under D'Antonio. So in a way, you can afford to be more of a jet set around the country and just based on the sheer increase in resources, not neglect your backyard. And just in terms of like minutes and dollars spent in these areas and traveling to these areas. So I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I would take my chances trying to establish a footprint like Tucker is now in Georgia, trying to establish a footprint in California. Kate Hauser, uh, look, it's so- You just tough. had him on the show with uh, yeah. Jeremy. Is it Jeremy or Jeremy? Well, it's it's like Jeremy, but without the uh. So Jeremy, but Jeremy. it sounds like you're saying Jeremy when you say it. So it's, it's yeah. Jeremy without the uh. So Jeremy. Jeremy Bernard, a uh, yeah. phenomenal recruit, uh, flipped from Washington to MSU, uh, former teammate. Oh, we're going to hear it forever. Former teammate of Caden uh, Hauser at Liberty High School. Um, I've already heard it 500 times. Uh, you just had them on. Two guys that are, you know, were really wanted. And and Caden flipped from Boise State. And look, you know, Boise State has a very solid past recency of getting really nice quarterbacks. Um, Hank Bachenmeyer comes to mind um, as being a real solid quality quarterback. Is, is he going to be the guy? Do you think that that when Peyton Thorne's done here, they just hand the keys over to Caden? Because it really looks like from the tape and the, you know, I'm not I'm not Steve Wolfong over here, but like it looks from the tape that this kid can make whatever throw and there's zip on. Yeah, I mean, with the asterisk of when Ron Paulus came out of high school and went to Notre Dame, there were people that were saying he was gonna win three Heisman trophies. So and and that didn't happen. He wasn't, he was an okay college quarterback. It, it is tough to project. So with that caveat out of the way, where we all know it's tough. I, I am as confident in Caton Hauser being a phenomenal college quarterback as I've ever been for anybody coming through Michigan State's program, which frankly, I hate to say it isn't even saying that much because the only highly touted guy really that I recall was Andrew in my life that was Andrew Maxwell. That didn't work out. Maxwell was objectively bad, but, you know, we've had good quarterbacks, but Kirk Cousins, two-star unheralded, Connor Cook, two-star unheralded. I, I just – I really believe this guy's different. He's got the size. He's got the moxie, all the talents there. The the poise that he handled with that my interview with him, guy's 17 years old. You have to remind yourself again and again. He's not even 18. He's 17, as poised of a person as I've, as I've had, I and I've had – lawyers in their 50s i mean it, it's like this guy is an old soul when i had warren mccree director of on-campus recruiting for michigan state on the week prior she told the story of when he's on campus he wants to be an orthopedic surgeon they're asking him who do you want to meet most of the players are saying you know i want to meet this former athlete who's on the staff or i want to meet cassius winston can we bring him here or whatever he has to see an orthopedic surgeon i mean he's just a dream of a guy to be a ceo of your program and you combine all the intangibles with the talent. I, I just think he, he's confident. It's if this guy doesn't work out as I don't know whether a star or not, it's just a matter of how good. But if he's not at least like very good, 
I don't know football. I mean, just that is how confident I am. I, I just, I think Michigan State's in such good shape. And no, are they going to give it to them? No, that's not the culture of Mel Tucker. I mean, Lloyd Carr famously promised Drew Henson, I won't recruit a quarterback for two classes after you. That's not Mel Tucker. Like Mel Tucker doesn't believe in that. I don't care if Trevor Lawrence came here, nothing is promised. But I think the gap on the field is going to be so clear that may as well be promised. He's just so much more talented than Noah Kim, Hamp Faye, nothing against those guys, but um, he's special, man. And, and that receiver sitting next to him in that studio when we had him here, I, the buzz on that guy is it's the most talented guy they've had in that receiver room in years. And that's a receiver room that's been pretty sexy for a long time, including right now with Jaden Reed. So I, the future's bright between those two guys. I'm really amped for both of them. Last question here, not a Michigan or Michigan State-centric question, a Big Ten question. Do you believe that we're going to get realignment? And, and I'll set it up this way. You can see where it's going. Um, I think Nebraska might get their act a little bit together. I really do like Casey Thompson as a quarterback, and anything's an upgrade over Adrian Martinez, but – Nebraska is stuck in the mud. Wisconsin is stuck playing football like it's 1997. Um, Iowa's Iowa, Northwestern, Purdue. They're all, they're all the same program. They're essentially doing the same stuff. Throwing PJ Flex. Sorry, PJ. The Big Ten West is an abortion. It's, it, that's what it is. It's an abortion. Big Ten East. Shiano, I think he's he's got a large undertaking at Rutgers, but he is improving that team. Rutgers is a team that, you know, had they had a quarterback, they probably would have beat Michigan. Uh, Mike Loxley and, and the weird stuff Maryland does, you know, and, and we could talk about Indiana. We can talk about Tom Allen. We can talk about all these teams. The Big Ten East is the SEC West compared to what's going on do you, do you think we're going to get a realignment or are we just going to have to live with this is the here and now and it's going to be you know just whoever the big 10 these winner is is going to win yeah i mean i haven't heard any buzz to that effect other than people like me you know whining about it i i don't know what the move is because in theory the move would be michigan or ohio state flips but then you lose that uh, that last game being as important as it is, I think it would be bad for college football in the conference to have Michigan and Ohio state run it back in a rematch like the next week. Uh, you know, they played the game and then, you know, they both win the division anyway. So I, if it weren't for that aspect, that'd be the easy fix, like kick Michigan over or kick Ohio state over. You can't do that. So what's the, what's the fix? Michigan I mean, state for Purdue. I guess, but I mean, Michigan State, I think it would be an upgrade. I First of all, I would like it because I think it's an easier path than Indianapolis or Michigan well, State. Yeah. But, um, you know, so selfishly, I would like it. But I, And I do think the division would be an upgrade. I think Michigan State's historically a better program than Purdue and is going to be better going forward. I don't know if that's going to be a seismic shift. And, you know, like maybe Penn State, if you're a buyer in Penn State. I mean, looking at the other side, like – Iowa and Wisconsin are good programs. I I don't know. It's the 
it's tough. Like I said, the easy thing would be kick Michigan or Ohio State over, but that's off the table. So are they really going to shake up the whole conference and just say, hey, Purdue and Michigan State change chairs? I mean, if the question is, do I think they will? I don't think they're going to. I think they're going to stay put. I am getting tired of seeing the the winner of the East Division be like a, a 14-point favorite in these games in Indianapolis. I mean, that's getting kind of old. Like, <laughs> i got to be honest. But Do you think – not – this is the last question. Do you think we missed the boat, the Big Ten? We, uh, that is our home conference. Um, yeah. Do you think they missed the boat in not adding teams when the, uh, you know, merry-go-round stopped? I don't know if you want to say they they missed the boat or I think we were – on the wrong boat. I mean, I, Maryland and Rockers, I'm sorry, but like, I'm, that was, I, I know you love Rockers. That was a mistake. I do love it. The Rockers, they, they, the pickled knights. Let me tell you about the pickled knights. These salt of the earth people at a Rockers game, you know, they're going to get blown out by Michigan State. They got the drums, they're going wild. I've never seen so many dedicated fans for such a horrible team. And God love them. They're listening right now. I love Rutgers. I'm a Rutgers. I'm going to Boston College to see Boston College Rutgers week one. Okay. Salt of the earth people. Wow. It's a tough look. But you bring it up. It, it's TV, right? It's TV. That, that New Jersey money, that Maryland money. Look, Big Ten Network. I'm in Virginia. Big Ten Network is standard it's it's on my cable package big 10 that's why they're paying 39 million or 40 million to each school it's because big 10 network is here in virginia well i mean i'm not going to pretend to have like intimate knowledge on their internal studies maybe they have some data i don't have well, it's just a cable rights and, and I know, but this look, it's better than nothing. Like you were better adding them than not adding them. It's just, did you add the right team if you were going to add two? So I, I'm with you. I'm like the, yes, better than nothing. Like it's better yeah. to have Rutgers, even if you just pick up a few people, a relative few, I mean, uh, I'm, that's fine. But like, if you're talking about if I could add two, there's other teams that would have come to this conference, in my opinion, even if you had to wait another couple of years, that would have been better. I, I just look like the St. John's women's volleyball team was also in the New York market. I don't know how many people are watching that. Like, I'm, like no, no offense, but like, I just, I, I is it really just because of the market? It's like, yeah, okay, essentially. Yeah. So when you buy your cable, right, you, there's channels that you just get stuck with while the cable company has to pay those channels, like 10 cents of your Comcast bill or whatever goes to that channel whether you like it or not, whether you watch it or not. Now, when, when you're in a bigger market, 10 cents adds up a lot or one cent or two cents or what have you. Yeah. I mean, if you're making, if you're making a pragmatic like business argument of we're going to, New York has 38 million people in the city limits and we're going to stick all 38 million people with a mandatory eight cents Rutgers tax and that adds up to a lot of money. It does. I, I, no, I'm not saying it doesn't. Like, if that's what is happening and that's what it is, that's fine. But if you're asking me, like, a qualitative analysis, that was a whiff. But um, I will say Shiano 
Shiano is, I mean, he's not going to win any big 10 titles, but like Shiano's not going to go two and 10. Like that's not Shiano. He's too good of a coach. So now that he's there, it's not as bad, but like pre Shiano disaster, but. Oh, Chris Oh God. Yeah. That was a mess. So, you know, I, I don't know like who I should even look at. I remember like Iowa state was bandied about that deal, like kind of fun for basketball. They're solid there, I guess. But, um, you know, I, th- I thought West, Vir- West Virginia kind of made some sense, but you're not getting too much money pulling in the Mountaineers. It's, yeah. a, it's why they're in the Big 12 and not the ACC. I know, but West Virginia is a good athletic department, man. They've gone to Final Fours. They've, like, you know, they've gone to New York Six Bear. games. I would like, love to see Huggy Bear in the, in the Breslin. That'd be, that'd be wild. Yeah, he's one of my favorite, like, non-Michigan State coaches. I just think he's fun, but – I the Cincinnati teams I loved back in the day. I, I just, yeah, West Virginia is like, I'm down with that. It's like, now I got a team that's played in New Year's six games and gone to final fours like that. That ain't Rutgers. So no offense, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'd like to see it like go to 14, like just, you know, call these uh, depressed big 12 schools and see if anyone wants to take a longer flight up North in the Midwest. I mean, you know, poke around, make some calls. Justin, I can't thank you enough for the time. we've gone very long i know i'm way past your bedtime so thank you very much uh where can folks get you because your show i really do enjoy it it's well worth a watch uh and a listen i I usually watch on youtube finish it up on the podcast on the drive-in but uh where can they find you uh, you know, we're, like anywhere you find a podcast, you know, or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere, really. I, I do recommend the YouTube format just because you're on video and we do have a lot of uh, graphics interlaid into our program. And there's, I'm sorry, like you do miss, the audio listeners do miss out. Like there's times that we're, you know, putting stuff up there and reacting to things. And I think those people miss out, but uh, really anywhere you find a podcast, just type in Spiro Avenue, YouTube, you know, for video is the best place to go. And you know, we're out there and, uh, you know, follow me, Darko State News on Twitter. I'm not going to explain why I'm Darko State News, but I'm Darko State News on Twitter. And honestly, don't thank me, man. I'm a fan of what you do. And I'm a little bummed. I didn't know Bernie was out here last week. I'm going to have to dig into your archives and pull that one out. You and Bernie. Oh, yeah. You know, first time me and Bernie were on, we just talked about, like, the mafia and sports. And he spent the whole time just talking about the mafia and sports in Detroit. Fascinating. I, I know, I think when he was on your show, he was talking about the Isaiah Thomas stuff, yeah. Yeah. but he can go into how, um, uh, what's Whitey Bulger was at Hazel park racetrack. He can go into how Bobby Lane was probably most likely throwing games and betting on games. He's a, he's, he's amazing. Bernstein's one of those guys. Like I could listen to him do a 17 hour interview and not get bored. It's just oh, like, it's great. I, I, I just don't get bored. Like if, if I see he did a four hour interview with someone, I'm like, well, I got a budget some time, but like, I'm in. <laughs> no, they, they, look, you know, this talking with him, he, we, I went to lunch with him and we went to lunch and we spent probably two and a half hours just talking just and it, it i say he was talking it, it, he's very he's he's got a lot of great stories and a lot of great insights but uh hopefully you get him back on when he gets out of hollywood and all this crazy stuff he's doing 
Yeah, I, I got to get I'm overdue to have him back on. And yeah, I, we had a good cigar together about a week or two ago. And man, I just, I have, I have respect for a lot of people, you know, in this business and media, but Bernstein is like in my top five. I mean, just, I, I love that guy. And yeah, so I, I did not know he was on your show. I, I'm going to check that out 100%. And like I, like I said, I like what you do. Anything with Bernstein, I'm in. So between the two of you, that's like a point, that's appointment viewing. And I'll, I'll, I haven't even seen the thing yet. I'm telling your viewers, like, go check that one out. because I, yeah, I, I appreciate it. Yeah. Really appreciate it. I, I'm just looking forward to when uh, you get the white whale, Michael Valenti. That's, That'll that's... never happen because he won't do it because he hates human beings. He has been invited. I have killed uh, more yeah, trees. Right. Sherwood Forest has burned to the ground with my invitations that have been sent to him and discarded. So that, I just given up, that's not going to happen, but I got plenty of other big people I'm working on, but Valenny, he does not do this for anybody. It's not even an anti Justin Spiro thing. He's done one such interview in the last 10 years. And he did it this summer, actually. And it's on YouTube. I can't remember the guy's name, but it was great. But I was like, how did this guy get him? Turns out it's like his best friend and financial guy. He was doing his buddy a solid, but like, I got to look that up on YouTube. It's great, man. I'll, I'll send you the link if you can't send find me the it. link. He it's is awesome. he is our friend. I tried to explain it to some. He is our friend, Sessa. He is. Yeah. I mean, he's phenomenal. He did a great job, like, with this guy. He talked about why he got off Twitter. And, like, half the guy, half the questions this guy asked him, I'll give him credit. I wish I could remember his name. I'm sorry. It's not intentional disrespect. Uh, but he asked like half the questions I would have asked had I gotten them. Like, why are you off Twitter? Were your bosses mad? And Lenny went into this great explanation as to why and how he was done dealing with people and death threats. And it was relatable. I won't get off Twitter because I don't have the blowtorch that he has at 97.1. But I do feel like a lot of what he was saying. I mean, I, I don't know if you face this, but like, I don't go a 48 hour period without someone saying like real nasty there, shit. There, and, uh, oh, sorry. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I was just going to interject. I know I, I, I don't run a big show, but you know, from time to time, uh, former bar stool guy, Jeff Nadeau friendly with him on a great relationship. And he comes on often. And the first time he was on, there was, I mean, I had to block, I, I, I'd never block anybody. But I had to shut down the comments because it was it was getting like real, real sketch, real sketch. But that Twitter trolls exist, right, Justin? I, I can't believe it. some of the stuff out there. It's like I'm not talking about oh, because I get called soft. I, I blocked somebody for calling me a child molester last week, and like, <laughs> and they went on their burner account. And they're like, oh, like Spiro soft. Why'd you block me, bro? I'm like. You just called me a child molester. Like this isn't disagreeing about Matthew Stafford and the Rams, right? Like, like uh, you're getting blocked if you say something like that. So yeah, I, I, that's the one thing I miss about like before our show started doing a little better. It's I had fewer of those people there, but it's a good problem to have. It's like you know if you have a lot of people that hate you, it's like it's at least at least twenty people are watching what we're doing. So yeah, I digress. I don't want to tie you up anymore, but. Uh, I'll send you the link to the Valenny thing. I highly recommend everyone search that out. 
Cause it's like, people don't even know it existed. There's cause guy knows he's not on Twitter promoting it. The guy is, has no profile who did the interview. So it's not like he blasted it out. When I watched it like two months after it happened, it, and maybe it's blown up since it had like 47 views. It had been up That's for two insane. months. <laughs> this is a great interview. It may be a thousand now for all I know, but uh, it's awesome. So yeah, I'll send it to you. People should check it out. Jesus Christ. I'm not going to fall asleep till 2 a.m. now. Thanks, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my bad. I No, I can't wait to have you on again. We'll do this again sometime soon. I'm sure there'll be more to talk about. Everybody go check out the Spiro Avenue show. Check out my man, Justin. And check us out as we come back next week. I think we're talking horses running in circles. We're talking college basketball. I'm burning money at a just an expeditious rate. It's incredible. Um, although Michigan State did get to cover for me. And, uh, yeah, we got more down the pipeline, so stay tuned. We'll see you next time.